Today's New Testament scripture reading is in two parts. The first will be from Acts chapter 28, verse 16, and then verse 30 through 31. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me as we pray? Oh God, you've gathered us here. You have uh, given us these means by which we can know you. And we're asking you now, uh, leave no heart untouched. Uh, Captivate us and conquer us so that we might live. In Christ's name, amen. Well, tonight we wrap up our series on the book of Acts, which we've been basically doing the entire year. Um, And the topic that I actually chose uh, last week was uh, finishing well, finishing well as we look at these passages. This past week, Meg and I spent a couple days up in New York City visiting our daughter, and we stayed at this historic ministry house, the Hefzibah House. Um, And it is a house that was given, you know, decades, more than decades ago, way back at the turn of the century, uh, initially for missionaries going to prepare a place they could be in New York. Uh, And it retains this thing where if you are in ministry, you can stay there at a fraction of the cost of a hotel in New York. It really is a wonderful thing. And it's a wonderful ministry. Uh, so we walked in, and as we walked in wh- where the uh, front desk is, I guess you could call it, I noticed that there was an old cardboard box that said free and just some books thrown in there. And as I looked down to my right, I noticed the one on top said finishing well. And since I had already you know, picked that as my topic last week, I thought, well, first I thought I'm on vacation. And then I thought, it's, you know, and so I looked a little bit more and then what caught my eye, I was, I looked at this face on the cover and I thought, wait a second, I recognize that face. And I picked up the book and then a smile came to my face and it was uh, a man called John Eaves. When I first came to Nashville and was waiting tables at Chili's, uh, one day John and his wife came in. And uh, John, uh, being a ministry-minded person, I'm sure began to engage me with the gospel and found out then that I was a follower of Christ. But he worked with international students in Nashville. And then over the years that Meg and I were in Nashville, I would bump into him. 
And then when I moved here in 2003, uh, someone we knew that worked for John began to forward emails um, letting uh, us know that he was battling stage four cancer and facing terminal illness and eventually died and went to heaven. And that book was a compilation of some of the emails. Um, and so I, I decided to just page through it, having received some of them, and I hadn't thought about it for years. And in one of those email exchanges, John said, I'm praying that the days God gives will be some of the most meaningful in my life. I'm not running toward the sidelines, I'm headed toward the center of the field. I've never asked God why I have cancer. Instead, I ask, to what end? I only want to finish well. Now, in the last few weeks, uh, within this denomination's community and beyond, there have been some notable deaths, uh, deaths of um, ministers that finished well for all the reports we have. Uh, one was uh, Steve Smallman Sr. Now, some of you may have not heard of Steve, but Steve was the pastor of McLean Prez across the river. And I'd never met Steve until I came here. We were about a year into the planting, and I got a phone call from him. And Steve said, um, hey, I, I wonder if we could meet, uh, because you know I, I prayed for this church plant for decades and I, I would love to sit with you and just hear about what's happening. And so we met for coffee, and uh, I began to just tell him of God's blessing, what he was doing in those early days. And he welled up with tears, and he said to me, do you have any idea how long we prayed for this? And I remember at that moment just feeling uh, the stewardship of what God has given us. Uh, the second uh, passing is a guy named uh, Reverend Harry Reeder, and uh, pastor to church Briarwood down in Alabama, and uh, Harry had a great love for renewing churches. I only had a chance to be in his presence a few times, but he really had a love to see churches renewed. And then the last one, of course, is Tim Keller, and I'll have a little bit more to say about Tim in the sermon. But in all these cases, uh, we've been struck with this idea, especially in this day and age where we hear so many stories, it seems, of those that don't finish well, whatever field they're in, to uh, be able to recognize people in their faith that finish well is encouraging. And we see that demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Um, now, when you read that last part of Acts, it might seem anticlimactic because we've been following uh, Paul's, uh, you know, dramatic story. And then it just sort of goes to, well, he spent these two years in Rome. He was in ho under house arrest. He preached the gospel. And that's the end of the book of Acts. What about the rest of Paul's life? Well, it's a reminder to us that the book of Acts isn't primarily about a biography of Paul or anybody. It's about the works of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. And what we see there is the ministry of Jesus is continuing. But we do get some hints from Paul's own letters, as well as church history, about what happened to Paul at the end of the book of Acts. 
from what we can piece together is Paul was released from the house arrest that we read about. He was acquitted. And then it's likely that he was able to go and minister uh, in the West, Spain. He mentions that in the book of Romans, that he desires to do that. But then he was arrested again, tried, and executed. During his first imprisonment that we've reading about, he was so fruitful. He wrote the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon. And then in between, likely, the letters of 1 Timothy. But then he's, he's in that third house arrest in 2 Timothy. Paul's own words reveal that he sees that his end is coming. His time is coming to an end. And he's not overtaken with despair. He's not overtaken with fear. He's not overtaken with regret. What we find is he's able to finish well. And I want to look at the mindset of finishing well and the marks of finishing well. So let's do that together. First of all, a mindset for finishing well. Whether you are 66 or 26, you will finish. How will you finish? And I'll make a point uh, in a moment that it doesn't start then. It doesn't start in the future. Paul uses two images that he talks about in his mindset. The first, and I, and I, would, su I would sum them up by saying... Um, what was the mindset that Paul had that enabled him to finish? He understood that he was loved to death. He was loved to death. Two images were given of this death. The first one is he refers to himself as a drink offering being poured out. This is hearkening back to the Old Testament priest that would pour out wine before the Lord as an offering and a sacrifice before him. Now, that's an image that we can relate to, pouring out. Maybe you have poured yourself out for someone that you love, the loved one who is sick. Maybe you've poured yourself out for some cause that you believed was noble and good. You gave of yourself. You feel like you gave a lot of yourself. But we also acknowledge, right, that you can pour yourself out for stuff that isn't worthy and valuable. You can pour yourself out for things that really are like pouring wine on dirt and sand. It's just gone. Things like the desire to be liked and applauded for in Washington, D.C. The desire to have a list of achievements in my mind that I've accomplished and have always wanted. Or maybe pouring yourself out to be happy. There was an article in the Washington Post today, and it was saying that uh, happiness is fleeting, but what about fulfillment? Question mark. And it went on to say that, you know, sadness and happiness come and go. But described fulfillment is different because it's about self-acceptance, optimism, and making the most of what you have. But that can be just as fleeting, can't it? Right? Those things can be just 
is fleeting because really at the center of them is self. Self-fulfillment. It's about me still moving ahead in this world where, I, you know, I, I'm at the helm. I'm working toward getting something that I want. God would guard you and I from pouring ourselves out to something that is fleeting, something that is futile. What a sad thing it is to, to expend yourself your entire life and to expend yourself for things that are just gone. And so what we're turned toward, as we see in Paul, he has poured himself out for what? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. And if you bother to spend time looking at the kingdom of Jesus, immediately you see that it's of immense value. The way that he loves people, the community that he forms, you know, here is one who understands himself to be God in the flesh, but dwells among the lowly, right? Isn't making a name for himself. Isn't setting himself up and just saying, you know, fall down and praise me. He spends 30 years just being faithful doing his job. That's worth contemplating for the rest of our lives. Even before he starts his public ministry. Just in the, in the wings, so to speak. The Son of God humbly and quietly serving. No name, no recognition. And when he finally is recognized, one of his disciples says, you know, isn't it, does anything good come from that nowhere town, Nazareth? But then his ministry time is spent for hours and hours listening to broken people's stories. Right When he was healing sick people from sun up to sundown, it wasn't just like he was churning through a mill. Next, next, right? Because chronic illness or brokenness or possession or bondage comes with a story, doesn't it? Story of pain. And so listening, the Son of God, listening to people, healing them, gathering the margins. Uh, Jesus... Jesus' ministry was both an appetizer and a movie trailer. As he fed with bread, as he made wine for a wedding, as he healed people, as he proclaimed the gospel, we're getting a foretaste of the kingdom that is to come. And so it's a kingdom that lasts. It's an, a kingdom that's eternal. It's something that you pour yourself out for, and it will endure. It's worthy just in and of itself to pour yourself out for that ministry. But you have the promise that you won't have wasted your life. As Paul talks about uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God and preaching the Lord Christ, there's something, he, he, he's being a little bit provocative there because where is he? He's in Caesar's house. He's in Caesar's town, where Rome and Caesar is Lord. And he proclaims that Jesus is Lord. All the kingdoms of men, all the efforts of men trying to build that lasting thing, right? It's still happening today. It's still happening in D.C. It's happening in New York. It's happening in Berlin. It's happening everywhere. The same project is going on, trying to build that lasting thing. 
And Paul sits there and says, I proclaim a Lord who builds things that last. There's a song by the singer-songwriter Sting. And uh, in it, the lyric, he says, Teachers told us the Romans built this place. They built a wall and a temple on the edge of the empire garrison town. They lived and they died. They prayed to their gods, but the stone gods did not make a sound. And their empire crumbled till all that was left were the stones that the workmen found. Oh, God would save you and I from expending ourselves to a life that looks like a bunch of stones on the ground. Right? Something that's just like dust. Finishing well is understanding the purpose of God in your life. Right? And that includes everything. The way your vocation fits into the purpose of God, the way your relationships, your friendships, even your leisure, the way you dwell as a neighbor, the way that you live, the way you steward your body, the way you steward your mind, the purpose of God. This is a life that's on track to finish well. But it's not just... Uh, What compels Paul is his pouring out. It's the pouring into and the pouring out of the Son of God. As we think about that drink offering, the ultimate drink offering is Jesus. He is the sacrifice that gets poured out. It's seen throughout his ministry, but as he's on the cross dying for Paul's sins, dying for the sins of of all that would believe in him. He is this drink offering, the sacrificial one by the priest. Isaiah said the Messiah would come and he poured out his life unto death for sinners. Paul elsewhere says, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I was thinking about um, Tim and some of the things that have been said, Tim Keller, in the, in the recent days. And uh, one of the things that his family reported was um, that as he was dying, he was expressing his longing to be with Jesus. I so want to be with Jesus. Um, The reason uh, Tim finished that way is because that's what captivated him throughout his life and his ministry. That wasn't just a nice minister thing to say. When you're stripped of everything and you're lying there, what you value, what you long for, what you love, and so his love for Jesus, which meant that Jesus' love was personal to him as it was for Paul. It's this idea that Jesus has loved me personally and I have loved him personally. And we've got something together. And I long to see him. But I was thinking about that and to have that sort of way to finish, you really have to believe that Jesus' love is based on something other than you and your performance in the way that you love him 
or you'll never really be assured. Something that Tim was famous for saying, right? Was the gospel tells us we're more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe and we're more accepted and loved than we ever dared hope through Jesus. That's the basis of the assurance when it's outside of me, when it's something that God has pursued, that God gave his son for me. That the son of God laid down his life for me, that he had no sin became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God, that the son of God came to die for your moral failures, to be judged for your guilt and your wrongdoing and my guilt and wrongdoing, and to give you his righteousness. But even that, you can believe that transactionally and still not think Jesus can't wait to see me. You must know that the reason he did that is because God loves you. That's what compelled him. The love of God compelled him. No one made Jesus die. This is the assurance that enables us to finish well and say, I'm longing. But there's another part of it too. You know, that verb that's being used for poured out uh, isn't pouring myself out. Paul says, I'm being poured out. It's this understanding as I'm on my last days that God is the one that's holding me. My destiny is in the hands of the Father. The Father has this. This isn't out of control. He's pouring me out. I've always been in his hands. The other image he uses is departure. I'm coming near my departure. And that was an image used of ships that were being loosed from their moorings. Right? That were anchored down, but then they've been set free. They've been released. This idea that I'm actually, in the moment you would think you would be most shackled to fear. You know, there, there are ways that people face death, right? And it's more of, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of at peace with myself. Well, that doesn't mean you're at peace with God. Or it may be that, you know, I, I'm just sort of dying on my own terms. But is that freedom? It may be just individualism. There's a freedom that comes from this idea that I'm being held by God. Paul refers to God as a righteous judge. All of us standing before a righteous judge. If we believe in justice in this world, there's no way to escape justice after this world. And yet Paul has this freedom because of Christ. One of the things that John Eves said as I read um, this little book, he said, Right now, right now, I am fearless in the hands of the Lord. It is a gift, and I want to walk in it for all the days the Lord gives to me. I've seen this in the lives of saints. He expresses it. You would hear it in Tim. There's this fearlessness and freedom. Someone was writing an article about Tim, and uh, he said, the great thing about dying is you don't have to do anything anybody wants you to do. You know, you really have the freedom to say, sorry, I'm not doing that. Right? Well, that, that doesn't necessarily have to be that. You can say that out of love, right? But the thing is, both those men and other saints become actually more fruitful in that time. Right? 
I mean, these are the things that you're seeing, testimonies. These are the things I was reading about John's life. We could think about our own sister, Leslie, who was in our community, the fruitfulness of her life. This is the mindset that God would have you and I have. But what are the marks of finishing well? Paul literally says it. It's almost like poetry. The good fight I fought, the race I finished, the faith I kept. The good fight I fought, the race I finished, the faith I kept. There's a sense of both uh, completing and completion there. Completing and completion. First of all, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, uh, and I'll pose it to a question, as a question as I did then. Do you see your life as a course? A course means it actually isn't just kind of blowing every which way. And the course isn't just, yeah, like I got my plan, because, you know, that, 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 you'll get blown off course. I mean, you only have to live a little bit to go, my plan ain't holding up. But this is a different course, a course that's laid out, a race that's laid out by God. And you know something? It's your course. It's not my course. It's not this person's course. It's your course. It says of those that believe in Christ that God has good works prepared in advance for you to do, to walk in them. And that includes your deathbed. That includes those final days. Do you understand that you have a course set before you to finish well? And, you know, um, God's race isn't the kind where you can cut in in the last hundred yards and finish. We're just at the end of your life. You can just say, well, I'm just going to jump in and make sure this is, I've got this thing covered. That's not the kind of race it is. Because um, finishing well means that you started the race long before the finish. Right. Um, I was thinking, you know, today was the Capitol Hill Classic, and uh, some of you probably ran it. I walked it. I mean, I walked past it. <laughs> and um, you know, the, the the people that got their best time didn't just start yesterday, right? They've been running for months, maybe running for years. Because it's accumulated. That's how it works. That's how races work. You know, the, the adage is we don't rise to the occasion, we fall to the level of our training. That's the realistic part of our life. And even when you win a race, when someone wins a race, they don't win by 30 seconds. They end up winning by 0.08. Right? It's the small steps of faithfulness. We very much envision pinnacle moments. You know, maybe we, we get fixated on those. And, you know, there is a moment Paul is looking for, but, you know, we tend to sort of, many of us have a vision. I don't know what that pinnacle moment is for you. You see yourself there. It's that moment of adulation. It's that moment of success. It's the moment of your heart desire. You know, you can see the spotlight. You see the people around that are acknowledging your greatness. You're hearing the music. That moment, the pinnacle moment, But really, the person that finished well isn't fixated on that moment. They're fixated at the moment before them, right? Walking before them faithfully. Paul says that he was battling. I fought the good fight. 
And what that meant is it's been a long battle. Really, what he's talking about is wrestling there, not so much battling with a sword. But I've been in the fight for a long time. Someone who finishes well understands that you never become, you'll never be what you're not becoming, which is what a dear friend of ours says. You'll never be what you're not becoming. It's the Spirit of God working now, along obedience in the same direction, right? It's not an easy thing to do in Washington. One of the reasons that Luke uh, perhaps doesn't expand to talk about Paul's martyrdom is he wants us to remember Paul not as a martyr, but as a worker, right? The last picture we have is Paul is just serving. He's doing his thing. What is Paul doing? He's doing what he's always been doing. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. He's just being faithful like he always had. To the very end. The mission of God, that race, looks like very small, very small gains. I was thinking um, just about um, what it means to be sort of mission-minded and reflecting on some engagement I had with uh, Tim. Uh, The first time that I became aware of Tim, I was in seminary, and uh, there was a little pamphlet that our uh, denomination put out, and Redeemer Church had been going for about four years, and I remember exactly where I was. I was in our seminary apartment, and I was reading about what God was doing at Redeemer, and I was reading about, Tim was talking about the vision they had there, and I fell to my knees, and I was overwhelmed with emotion. And I asked God, I said, God, this so resonates with my heart. Would would you let me do that sort of ministry? Would you let me do that sort of ministry? Well, fast forward eight, nine years later, he gives me that privilege to come here and plant a church. Um, Some of you may know that um, Redeemer Church was one of our founding churches. Uh, We need to give both Redeemer, and Tim Honor. Uh, After our first public meeting, uh, we were meeting in um, the Washington Club on DuPont Circle. And uh, at the end of our first public meeting, the pastor McLean at that time walked me over to the window and said, do you see that bench there on DuPont Circle? And I said, yeah. He said, that's where I sat and Tim sat and Skip Ryan sat, and we prayed that a church plant would happen. So it was some years later that um, I began to go up to Redeemer Church and get to, um, and Tim was kind to make time for me. And uh, I'd been in groups with other pastors there just benefiting so much from his teaching. And uh, when we met together, I think one of the first times, uh, he was so adept that, you know, the guy was just like really smart. The first, very first time I met him, we were talking at a retreat for our students, and uh, I said, um, I was from Pittsburgh, and he immediately began to talk about the way that immigration affected Pittsburgh's economy over against other small, mid-sized cities. (laughs) I was used to talking about the Steelers. 
you know, but one of the things he was very good at is summing up demographics, and he said to me, uh, okay, uh, my providence, you're starting with a lot of people and a lot of Christians and a lot of Christians of the same cultural ethnic heritage. And he said, um, if you want to reflect the city and you want to reach the city, you're really going to have to labor at this point very intentionally to make the place hospitable for those that are not initiated, not Christians, and those that are not white. You're going to have to work at that. That was way 20 years ago. And basically, we still have those values today, right? We're still working on that, still in progress. Uh, a second conversation that I um, had with Tim was just about the nature of preaching. I remember eating a sandwich somewhere on some New York City bench, just talking about what it meant to preach Jesus and grace and how do, you, how do you understand the story of the culture around you and try to bring Jesus into that story, something that many of us have benefited from, right? And then uh, I think the last time we had a chance to interact was right before COVID, and uh, I was, um, the city pastors that I've told you about uh, was able to gather that group, and Tim was willing to come and address us, and he was talking about what does evangelism in the public square look like now. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because up until the end, what drove his heart was the mission of God. The mission of God. You know, just months before he died, he wrote this opus about the decline and rise of the American church. God had placed this passion that we don't exist for ourselves. He was constantly passionate about how can we not create a fortress? How can we not create a silo and lob grenades? But how can we empathetically bring Jesus to this culture and make it plausible and true? Because it is. And friends, I think that's a great call for our next 20 years. You know, the longer churches are in existence, the more it is easy just to kind of maintenance mode and come in and just become an edification station. But this year we celebrate 20 years. And what a great thing to recommit to the legacy and to say, no, what we desire is that this church will grow. It will grow by people coming to know Jesus. And it will grow by people feeling like, you know, I'm not of this you know, major dominant culture, but I feel like I can come here and this is home. It's a home place for me. And you know something? I have no doubt that God is going to give us that. Selfishly, I am asking God, would you bring out the, the, the best wine until at the end of the wedding? We've had some great wine, but the best wine. And I'll tell you, I, I want to invite you and the rest of the leadership, would you join me in praying for that? What a great legacy to steward that we've been given in this church but let me just mention completeness, and I've got to wrap up. Paul says, I've kept the faith. He talks about both preaching and living before the righteous judge, but not feeling shame, right? Because he knew his righteousness was in Christ. He talked about that elsewhere. That's the only way you can read those words and contemplate that you, yes, you and me, you will stand before him. 
And how can you do that with confidence and joy? Through Jesus. Through the Son of God that was sent. To look forward to see, you know, to look into your judge's face and see a Savior there. See a Father there. And it's these two things, life and doctrine, that Paul always held together. He said, actually, to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. And then, we read in the book of Hebrews, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, doctrine, consider the outcome of their way of life. Right? It's got to be both those things together. What does it mean to finish well? It means to hold on to the the once tradition, the gospel that's handed out for generations and generations and generations, and not to, you know, the, the historic Orthodox gospel church that's been in existence, to hold on to that. But you can hold on to all of that and have loads of gifts. And if your life doesn't show the gospel, you know something? People won't remember you. There have been a lot of gifted people, and they don't finish well. And it's sad, but all the, the fruit that they could have been shared, it, it just kind of, it just goes to the side. But it was both of this, right? The way the gospel informs my life. Uh, there have been, uh, and there will be many more, testimonies about Tim in particular. Um, And I think why there's so many testimonies, uh, everybody, of course, everybody celebrates, you know, okay, mega gifted, unbelievably gifted, all all the things. Church planning, network, strategy, apologetics, preaching, all those things. I don't think that's why people are bearing testimonies. Already I'm hearing more and more people go, you know, I was just this like person that, and he he reached out to me and, and had conversations with me. I will tell you that well, let me, let me read a quote from somebody. As impressive as his gifts were, the most lasting lesson from Tim Keller's life is Tim Keller's life. Heartfelt faith and severe devo- uh, sincere devotion. He loved Jesus. He loved the Bible. He loved his wife, Kathy, and their children. He kept the main thing the main thing. He wasn't a jerk. He wasn't a prima donna. He was enjoyable to be around. He was full of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Those of you that interacted with him, those of you that have heard him preach, I will say that's consistent with my experience. And guess what? It's not all glory to Tim. It's glory to Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. It's the works of Jesus. And that's who... That's who Tim lifted up. That's what you heard in the sermons. That's what you hear in the sermons. That's what I got as I spent time and learned. I was, uh, we were with our leadership group last night. And um, I was reflecting on the Hebrews verse and all this stuff that's in my head about, you know, these last couple days and weeks. And, you know, I was thinking, and I felt this way too. And Anybody that's been a minister that's been in the orbit, you know, you're like, you know, um, give me more gifts, right? You know, give me gifts like that. But, you know, um, that's kind of the easy part. Why 
again, as someone like Tim or John Eves, or you, you know other people, why are they celebrated? That's not really why. And so as leaders, or maybe it's your career, we, we long say, I wish I had more gifts. That's the American mindset. If I had more gifts, I would have more impact. No, it's just like humble, faithful, loving people. And all of us can do that. That's where Jesus bears the fruit. That's where the miracle is. That's where the growth comes. No surprise, because that's what he did. No one had a clue who he was till he rose and ascended to heaven. Right? We don't need more gifts. We just need to humbly, faithfully love each other and love this city. The crown of righteousness is to live forever in the loving engagement with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And guess what? There's not just one crown. There's a crown for every follower of Jesus. It's not a zero-sum game. There's a crown waiting for you. If If you're looking into the Christian faith, please keep looking. We'd love to look with you. Don't pour yourself out for things that will just end. God would, have, would release you from that. And you can do that. You know, sometimes we have to doubt our doubts, don't we? <laughs> sometimes we have to, to move ahead in the confidence that God is with us.